asking you a question. If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? If God just said, I'm going to give you a blank check, you fill it out, what would you ask for? If you could ask anything of God and knew before you even ask that his answer would be yes, what would your request be? Sounds a bit far-fetched, but he did this once before. He, he allowed this option to Solomon. In Second Chronicles, the first chapter, reads like this. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Here's Solomon's response. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth or riches or honor nor for even the death of your enemies and since you have not asked for a long life but wisdom and knowledge to govern my people whom I have already made you king therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you and I will also give you wealth, riches and honor such as no king who is before you has ever had and none after you will ever have. Solomon says, above all else, before anything else, I want you to give me, I want you to fill me with your wisdom. And the first thing Solomon asked for is the first thing that Paul prays for when he prayed for a little bitty church in the town of Colossae. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to the book of Colossians. That's where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. And I want to read through a prayer that's going to teach us about spiritual wisdom. That's going to paint us a picture of what spiritual wisdom looks like. Beginning in verse 9 of chapter 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. By the way, just a little sidebar. Do you know how to pray for people? When there's not a crisis in their life? Do you know how to pray for people when they're physically healthy? When, when things are going well for them? And, and there's nothing in particular wrong or, or going on? I think this is about as good a model as what to pray for people you love during just the everyday aspects of life as any. He says, we have not stopped fr- praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, the church here in in Colossae needed the same thing we need. They just needed to wise up a little bit. We all need spiritual wisdom. The ability to see life and relationships and everything that happens in life through the eyes of God. See it His way. I'm going to ask some questions this morning, uh, a series of about five questions, before we begin to look at the rest of this passage. And I'll go through them very quickly, but it kind of sets up our study this morning. Question number one, if you're taking notes. Spiritual wisdom, what is it? Answer, it's the use of knowledge to reach worthy goals. You see, there's a big difference between having knowledge and using that knowledge to accomplish a worthy goal. 
to take what you know and do something with it. And there's a kind of wisdom that's supernatural, that comes only from God. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more in a minute, how to get that wisdom. But question number two, how important is spiritual wisdom? Listen to these statements from over in Proverbs. The first comes from Proverbs 3, verse 13. Blessed, or I like how Willard translated it, happy is the man who finds wisdom. Happy the man who gains understanding. Or from Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 13. He says, eat honey. Now, I like to substitute honey with ice cream. But the main idea is, think of something sweet, something tasty. He says, eat honey, my son, for it's good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there's a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. He's saying, you show me a person who has spiritual wisdom, I'll show you a person with a hopeful future. And the third one from Proverbs this morning comes from chapter 16 and the same verse. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. Better than money. Better than silver and gold is to have wisdom and understanding. That's how important it is. Question number three. Where does spiritual wisdom begin? Well, it begins with the fear of the Lord. So what then is fear of the Lord? What what do we mean when we say that? I've heard that said my whole life. From the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the fear of being away from the Lord. The fear of being without. Because only in God do we find true delight. Do we find secure salvation? Only in the Lord do we find security and joy and stability. And all good gifts in life. Come from our Lord. And so the fear of the Lord is the fear of being away from Him, being without His presence in our life. Question number four Where do you get this spiritual wisdom? How can I find it? If if it's good, if it's better than money, I want some. Where do I get it? Three places. First, you imitate noble models. That's why it's important. Choose your friends. Choose your heroes. Choose your role models extremely carefully. Second, you learn it from the Holy Scriptures. None of us are spiritually wise by nature. Now think about that. By nature, we are not a wise being. God didn't create us spiritually wise. We need the, re- the renewing of our mind. We need Scripture. That's why it stresses that we memorize it, that we study it, that we embrace it, that we begin to live what it teaches us. And the third way to get it is the simplest of all. You ask for it. You just cry out to God and you say, Give me wisdom. Solomon says, I'm not a wise king. God, give me wisdom. 
Paul says, as a church, you need more spiritual wisdom. So I'm going to pray for you. So that God will grant you more wisdom. And that's good news to me. I'm young. We usually associate wisdom with age. I've got some time. And so I'm going to pray for spiritual wisdom. That God will guide me. That God will guide you. And we cry out to God and we ask for it. And here's the final question where I want to spend the bulk of my time this morning. Number five, what is the evidence that you have it? What are the marks of someone who possesses spiritual wisdom? So let's go back to Colossians, the first chapter. And as we begin to read, he sets it up for us. He makes a list. Verse 10, he says, we pray this in order that, or so that. Okay, He's setting you up. He's ready to show you three marks of a person with spiritual wisdom. The first, the first evidence of spiritual wisdom is a life that produces a harvest of good works. Look at verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Spiritual wisdom is not someone who sits around and tells everyone else how wise they are. Someone who's spiritually wise understands the value, the role of good works in the economy of a Christian. Now, we don't stand before God acceptable because of our good works. But we do stand before God to present Him with pleasing worship. An offering of worship through our good works. You see, the tension in the New Testament has never been between grace and good works. The tension in the New Testament has always been between grace and merit. And if you look around you, you'll see a lot of people, even in this room, who are very wise. But they don't have PhDs. They don't have doctorates. But they have a life that's full of goodness, that's full of good works. So how about you? Wise up. Don't be driven by your pets, you know what I mean? Your pet peeves. There's a lot of people in this world who are driven by their pet peeves, their pet projects, their pet traditions. But God created us for something so much more. So much more. And I told my high school kids this this morning, it's, it's one of the best lines I've ever read, and, and I had to read it about a dozen times before it really sank in. We weren't purchased with discount blood. So why should we offer discount discipleship? He says, I want to see a harvest of good works. He says, I want to see a life full of goodness. Producing fruit everywhere you go. Here's the second mark of spiritual wisdom, and it's one that may surprise you. Endurance and patience in tough times. Listen to what he says, verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might. Now, I like that part. Being strengthened with all of God's might, all of God's power. But why? 
so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, wait a minute. If I'm strengthened with all of God's power, I shouldn't need endurance, right? I thought I wouldn't need perseverance. I wouldn't need patience. If I'm strengthened with all of God's power, that just means he's going to clear the road for me. He's going to part the sea. He's going to remove all obstacles, all roadblocks, smooth out the pathways. But spiritual wisdom understands that there are tough times. But tough times don't last. Faithful people do. God's power is often manifested to us through human weakness and human inadequacies and brokenness and even sometimes on a platform of pain. Does the name Dave Dravecki mean anything to you? If you're a sports fan, it might. He was a pitcher in major leagues back in the 80s. I pitched for the Padres and the Giants. Uh, now, he has a ministry. He and his wife have a ministry in Colorado Springs. And they minister to people who are impacted by cancer. Maybe themselves, maybe a family member, a loved one, friends. But that's their ministry. Because... Here's his story. In 1988, he was found to have cancer in his pitching arm. Prime of his career. He's a left-hander. And they found cancer in his deltoid muscle of his pitching arm. To save his life, they had to remove a large chunk of the muscle and the bone. Doctors told him he'd never pitch again. He said, well, if God wants me to, I'll get back out there. Had a great attitude, a great surgery, great recovery. And sure enough, he pitched again. Even won his comeback game, beat Cincinnati 4-3. to Five days later, he was in Montreal. On a normal day, his normal turn in the rotation, and is now forever linked to a single pitch. It's called the pitch heard around the world. On a normal, everyday motion that he makes a hundred times a week, Every single person in that stadium heard the bone in his left arm break. And he drops to the mound in pain, writhing in pain. He's carried off the field. As a result, the doctors find out that the cancer's back. He eventually has to have that arm amputated. Never pitches again. Later, he writes some books. Very good books, actually. His first is called, When You Can't Come Back. And in it, he details all the people that he encountered shortly after this occasion. And he tells how so many of them would come up to him and say, you know, if you just had stronger faith, these bad things would quit happening to you. And in his book, he says, that just doesn't square with God. He said, that makes no sense with Scripture and even the heroes of faith that we find all throughout God's Word. Listen to this quote. It's kind of lengthy, but, it, but it's a wonderful perspective. He begins, In America, Christians pray for the burdens of suffering to be lifted from their backs. In the rest of the world, Christians pray for stronger backs so that they can bear their sufferings. He says, That's why in America, we much prefer to go to the movies than to visit the hospitals or the nursing homes. By the way, When's the last time you went to a movie? When's the last time you visited a hospital or a nursing home? Looking back, Dravesky says, My wife and I have learned that the wilderness is as much a part of the landscape of faith 
and every bit as essential as the mountaintops. On the mountaintops, we're overwhelmed by God's presence. In the wilderness, we're overwhelmed by what seems to be his absence. But both places bring us to our knees. On the mountaintop, in utter awe. In the wilderness, in utter dependence. Spiritual wisdom helps us see life from God's perspective. Teaches us to see life through His eyes. Tough times are very real, but they don't last. Thorns will come your way. And it's okay, like Paul, to cry out to God, God, take this away from me. Or like Jesus, God, let this cup pass before me. But sometimes he'll say no. But my grace will be sufficient for you. And we praise God. We praise God when he delivers us. But we also need to praise God when he says no. And he gives us the power to endure, to persevere, to press on. God always has a plan. No matter what's going on in your life, somehow God will give you the grace to, to get through. And you'll come out the other side and you'll then see this treasure that he's brought out from this healed wound. And may I remind you again, God's power is so often seen in human weakness and human inadequacy. How about the name Milton Cunningham? If you have anything to do with Baylor University, you may recognize this name. He's a fairly well-known missionary. He tells the story of a flight. Uh, he had been over in the mission field. He's on a flight home. He's on a flight from Atlanta to Dallas. He says he boards the plane. And he gets to his aisle and he puts his things in the overhead and he goes to sit down and he notices there's a little girl. She has Down syndrome. She's in the window seat. He sits down next to her, you know, acknowledges her. Her family's in the row behind her, makes a little small talk. And then, you know, as you do on a plane, you just kind of get quiet and get ready to go. And he says it wasn't long. She was tugging at Milton's leaf. He said, Mister, did you brush your teeth this morning? He kind of smiled and he said, well, well, yes, yes, I did. She said, that's good. You should brush your teeth. It's healthy. He said, okay. A little bit later, she's tugging at his sleeve again. Mister, do you smoke? He said, well, no, no, I don't smoke. That's good. Smoking's bad for you. You shouldn't smoke. Okay. A little bit later, here she is again, tugging at his sleeve. Mister, do you love Jesus? He said, well, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I do love Jesus. He said it wasn't long before another man came in to sit in their row. She was in the window seat. Milton was in the middle. Businessman came, put his briefcase in the overhead, sits down next to him, and sure enough, it wasn't long. She's tugging at Milton's sleeve. Ask him. Ask him if he brushes his teeth. He says, I, I don't want to ask if he brushed his teeth. She said, ask him. So he says, well, my new friend over here would like to know if you brushed your teeth this morning. The man said, well, yes, yes, I did. Oh, that's good, that's good. And sure enough, Milton knew where this was going. 
Ask him if he smokes. My new friend would like to know if you smoke. And no, I don't smoke. Good, good. That's ask him. Ask him if he loves Jesus. He says, My new friend over here would like to know, do, do you love Jesus? And he goes on to write, But I wish I did. And maybe someday soon somebody will show me how. And Milton Cunningham writes that during that flight from Atlanta to Dallas, he was able to have the most open the most sincere, the healthiest spiritual conversation with that man that he's ever had in his life. And isn't that just like God? He uses our weaknesses, our inadequacies, to show his power and his overwhelming strength. What do you call a soldier who keeps on fighting after he's wounded? You call him a hero. And some of God's heroes, some of God's people, some of you in this very room have taken hits that have caused you to be weaker, that have caused you to take a few steps back, but don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Keep fighting. Keep enduring. Don't be distracted by negative attitude, by doubt, because God's waiting on you with heaven's medal of honor. Spiritual wisdom produces a harvest of good works. It endures even in the tough times. And finally this morning, very quickly, it gives joyful thanksgiving for a secure salvation. And that's a wonderful statement. He says, I'm praying for you. Why? Listen to what he says in verse 12. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Here's the good news. You don't have to qualify yourself. He qualifies you. How does this happen? Through probably the most, well, not probably, through the most magnificent exchange ever. He takes our sin our unrighteousness, our alienation, and places it upon Christ. And he takes his righteousness that he validated, that he earned, and removes it from him and gives it to us. Christ did not morally become a sinner. Do you understand that? Morally, he did not become a sinner. His sin was foreign. It was alien sin, alien unrighteousness. It was outside of himself. But it was placed upon him, and he was punished for it. In the same way, our righteousness is outside of us. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But it's given to us. He says, Dave, you didn't get it. You didn't earn it. But I gave it to you. And he gives it to us because he loves us. We're qualified before God by a righteousness not our own. To use biblical terminology, excuse me, justification precedes and enables sanctification. And there's only one way to make any kind of practical progress in your, in your moral righteousness. And that's to understand this. 
It's to know that we already stand before God, counted as righteous, because He qualified us. Because of God's amazing grace. That's why I love that song. Because it reminds us that it's not just everyday average grace. It's God's amazing grace. He's rescued us. Who needs to be rescued? People in danger. He rescues us. Let's read on. Let's finish this out. Verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven, rescued from ourselves, rescued from the world. Forgiveness is nothing we've earned, but something Christ himself qualified us for. He rescues us. He redeems us by his amazing grace. Spiritual wisdom, a spiritually wise person, they understand this. But it's not enough to understand it. They use it in every decision, every action, every thought, every relationship. It's not just knowing, but as the verse says, joyfully giving thanks for a gift that was free to us but cost Christ everything. Here we stand redeemed, bought again. You remember that old story of the little boy in the sailboat? He makes the sailboat. He loves it, cherishes it. One day he finally decides, I'm going to put it in the stream and see if it sails. And sure enough, it does. And he chases after it, but it gets up too much momentum, and it gets away from him, and he loses it, and he's just torn up about it. But one day as he walks down the street in a small town, he looks in the window of the pawn shop, and there it is, his sailboat. And he goes in and he pleads with the store owner. He says, that's my boat. I made it. I built it. It's mine. The store owner said, well, if you want it now, you're going to have to pay for it. So he reaches into his pocket and pulls out all these crumpled up dollar bills. He buys the boat, and as he's walking out, he's looking at it and he's talking to it. And he says, you're twice mine. I made you, and now I've bought you. And that's what God is crying out to you today. He says, I've made you, and I've purchased you. Are you a wise person? Don't tell me how many Bible facts you know. There are reservoirs of Bible facts all over this world in people who aren't living very wise. Spiritual, a spiritually wise person produces a harvest of good works. Spiritually wise person endures even in the tough times and joyfully celebrates that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's the good news. Final verse. Last thing this morning. James chapter 1. He says, you want more wisdom? God's ready to give it to you. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. God gives generously without finding fault. And it will be given to him who asks. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. God, we cry out to you now for something that, that honestly is not the most important thing that we want right now or, or sometimes in our life. But it's always the thing we need the most. 
God, I pray that you'll bless us with wisdom, your wisdom, that we may see people, may see relationships, decisions, all through your eyes, through your perspective. God, give us your wisdom. You gave us your son, and we thank you for that. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. God calls you this morning. He says, I've made you, and now I've bought you. Will you let him pay for you? Will you let him take your sins, give you forgiveness in exchange? It's the greatest exchange ever, and it costs you nothing. If you'd like to make your life right with God in any way, come now. As together we stand as we sing.